And uh, for us who are going to stay in here, we are going to uh, finish the book of Ephesians today. I believe we've been on Ephesians for six months, and so I hope you have been blessed by it. Uh, we have talked about several different things as we have walked through this book. I'm going to go back and highlight some of those things just to jog your memory, because I think in light of what we're speaking about today, it's important to remember where we've been. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, we talked about spiritual blessings in Christ. We talked about election. We talked about predestination. Uh, we talked about how, how God is the one who blesses us uh, with life in Christ. Uh, we talked about Thanksgiving in prayer also in chapter 1. Chapter 2, by grace through faith. Uh, we talked about how we are saved, that it is the work of God and not the work of ourselves. And uh, how that's why we give praises to God and not praises to ourselves. For we were saved by grace through faith. And that is one of the, uh, you know, that is one of the Christian mottos that we go by. Um, obviously, it's in the Bible and, and it's a beautiful verse for us to remember. Also, we are all one in Christ. There is no separation in Christ. We are his body. And as his body, we are to serve one another. As his body, we are to engage the world. Uh, those are things that we also talked about in chapter 2. Chapter 3, the mystery of the gospel revealed. We talked about how the gospel, you can go all the way back to the book of Genesis. The gospel begins then. Genesis chapter 3, right? The proto-evangelium where, where, where uh, God has proclaimed that, man, that he crushed the heel of the serpent. And uh, even though the, the, the serpent struck his heel... It was a beautiful image of what Christ would do for us. He would come to save us from uh, the, the bite of sin and death. And we go back all the way from then and we talk about the gospel all the way through because the Old Testament was about Christ. The Old Testament was about God's faithful servant who would come and die for his people. And so Paul talks about that and how important that is to the church. Uh, prayer for spiritual strength. Um, that was also discussed in chapter 3, and then also in chapter 4, unity within the body of Christ. It goes into specific detail of how there's a wonderful mystery about the church, and it's not just a group, an organization, or anything else, but it is the body of Christ, and we are to work and help one another. Also, within the body of Christ, we have new life. Uh, those who are part of the body, they have been changed. They have been made new. Uh, they don't, they're not the same, even though they may look the same on the outside, on the inside, they have been renewed. Then Paul talks about in chapter 5, we must walk in love as Christ loved us. What does it mean to walk in love? Well, it means to have and walk in a sacrificial love. To say I love you is one thing, but to show you I love you is completely different. And, and Paul says, as the church, as we live as one body, we need to walk in love. So we need to give and love sacrificially to one another. Then it's a perfect uh, transition into the family life because then we get into husbands and wives and we get into the relationship of children and parents and also bond servants and masters and how we are, we are all to uh, serve one another out of reverence for Christ. And so then we come to finally our uh, the last section of uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to read from verse 13 all the way through uh, verse 20 for you this morning. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. So 
this is, like I said before, when I opened, this is the last sermon in the Ephesians. And here, Paul reveals the last mystery of the church, and that is the spiritual battle that we are engaged in. We, I broke up this, uh, this sermon really into two different parts. Number one, to establish, last week, to establish who the enemy was. I felt like that was important. We had to set that aside. We had to establish what the fight was and who the enemy was. Now, this week, we're going to talk about how we fight and how we engage the enemy. And Paul leaves instructions for that. And I like how Paul, in a different epistle, the epistle of Timothy, 2 Timothy, he calls our Christian fight the good fight, right? Because it is worth fighting for. It is important. Um, We are in the fight of our lives. You can even go further and say we are in the fight of our spiritual lives. So, yes, we are involved in this fight. We are involved in it. Um, and we, 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 we have to fight every single day. So it's wonderful that Paul leaves instructions for the church and how we should fight the good fight. And he tells the church that while we fight, we need to be armored with God. In essence, we need to be armored with Christ. And he speaks to this um, and tells us that we need to use the armor of God to stand firm in the days of evil. Or in other words, as he says it here, in the evil day. Because if we're not fighting with our armor, we won't last. If we're not fighting with our armor, we're going to suffer great loss. In fact, we, there's no way we can fight without our armor, and that's why it's important for us to put it on every single day. And Paul also closes, if you noticed, he closes with uh, calling himself an ambassador of Christ or for Christ. So as we look at this, our calling is similar to Paul's. We must use the armor of God to stand firm in the days of evil as ambassadors for Christ. Essentially, what I just said is what this sermon is about. I'm going to break it up into three different sections. First of all, what is the use of the armor of God? Second, how we are to stand firm in the the evil days. And then third, our calling as ambassadors for Christ. So let's, uh, let's get started. Let's back up just a couple of verses, though. Verses 10 through 12. As we speak about using the armor of God, this is what he says in 10 through 12. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, the spiritual forces of evil that Paul speaks of here are unseen to the naked eye. These are things that he alludes to in other epistles, that things that we cannot see. He tells us, don't focus on things that you, that you can see, but rather focus on the things that you cannot see. For the things that you can see They're temporary. The things that you cannot see, those are eternal. And in that passage, he's speaking about the blessings of God and and what God has in store for his church. But also along with that is what is involved in the spiritual life of the believer. Things that are going going on around us that maybe we don't see with our spiritual eyes, but doesn't mean that, that, that they're not happening. There is this battle going on and and. Evil is waging war on good. And even though it may seem that evil is winning, it is not. That's what the Gospel of John says, right? That darkness is here, but darkness will never overcome the light. Ever. Doesn't matter how bad it looks. Darkness will never win. But yet, at the same time, we are called to fight. We are called to fight these spiritual forces of evil. Well, see, the job of these spiritual forces of evil are to instigate evil. You know how in in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So what does that mean? That means we have the spirit of God in us and that God works through us to produce the good fruit that he is pleased with. Well, these forces of evil work the same way, but just the opposite. Just like we are vessels for the Holy Spirit, for him to do his work in us, 
those who are used by these spiritual forces of evil are vessels of evilness. They are vessels in which demons can do their work of evil to combat our work of good. Works the same way, just different results. And so they, these spiritual forces of evil, they manifest their power and also they manifest their damage through real people. Real people. That's why we can say that some people are truly evil. If you notice a lot, the, the, the media stays away from having that explanation for things that are awful, things that people do that are awful. They, they blame it on mental illness. They blame it on other things. There's probably a list of them that I can't think of all of them right now, but they blame it on everything else except for the presence of evil. And as Christians, we have to know there is evil. It exists and it shows itself every single day. And that, that is the spiritual fight that we're in. That's when we can see what's going on. Whenever it manifests itself in real people and in real consequences and real things. And so the damage that, is, that, that, that these spiritual forces of evil cause are real. It's real pain real trouble, real suffering, and that's where we come in. We need, to shine, we need to shine the light of God on everything. See, Paul calls on the church to fight against these spiritual forces of evil with the protection of the armor of God. So in order for us to persevere in the fight against evil, we must arm ourselves with, Paul, and the way Paul says it, the whole armor of God, not just a helmet, not just a belt, not just a sword, but everything. We need to put everything on. And by the way, and we'll talk about this, but we need to put it on every day. See, the armor of God, as described by Paul here, serves as a mental image of two things. Number one, it's a beautiful depiction of how the Old Testament describes God. We are made in his image. We have his spirit. So, of course, uh, you know, we are going to take his traits. But secondly, Paul also is using the image of, the Roman, of, of a Roman soldier in the New Testament. And when the people of Ephesus read this letter, they completely understood the example Paul is using. But first of all, before we get to the Roman soldier, let's talk about God in the Old Testament. There are three verses that I want to share with you. They're all from Isaiah. And I want you to compare these verses to what we just read here in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. The first one is Isaiah eleven five. This is what it says. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. That's in the description of God. Now, as compared to Ephesians 6, verse 13 through 20, makes complete sense, right? Also, Isaiah 59, 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And then Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. There was a lot more verses, but I just kind of wanted to give you a glimpse of what Paul is doing here and the comparison he's making between the believer and who God is in the Old Testament. But even more so, he's making a comparison between the, the Roman soldier of that day versus uh, he's given us an image of who, who, God, who we are to be as Christians and how we are to fight um, as Christians in this spiritual uh, war. Now, one thing you have to understand is, well, first of all, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each of these things because I think the, the totality of the whole armor and what it means is more important than each individual thing. Okay, so that's number one. But number two when Paul's describing, describing the Roman soldier, you have to understand that the Roman soldier was, was considered the baddest man on the planet. And some of you may recognize that nickname. You remember Mike Tyson in the 80s and early 90s? No one wanted anything to do with Mike Tyson in the ring. Part of the persona was just what he looked like, what he wore, how he, 
he, he, he walked, how he looked at people. Mike Tyson won the majority of his fights before he even got in the ring. He was, his nickname was the baddest man on the planet. Right? He'd get in the ring, they were already nervous. Because they knew that this guy was dangerous. Oh, he had his humbling moment too, and so did the Romans. But this is what Paul is using to describe who we are to, who we are to be in our spiritual warfare. He's describing Roman soldiers who were, who were very who were feared and well respected by their enemies. And here are some things that he talks about and points to that we should consider clothing ourselves with. And what I'm going to do, I, I, it's, it's easier for me to start from the top and work my way down. And I'm going to talk about these different things that Paul says that we should arm ourselves with. Number one, he says we should arm ourselves with, arm ourselves with a helmet. Now, when you look at a helmet, yeah, their helmet was nice, pretty, went all the way down their sides. It protected their head, the back of their head, and it even had protection here on the side of their faces. And it served as a protection of one of the most vital parts of the body, of course, the head. Because if you were to get a blow to the head as a soldier, you would be out or killed. And so Paul gives this uh, example that we are to arm ourselves with a helmet. But he doesn't say just a helmet. He says, take on the helmet of salvation. That's verse 17. Well, when we look at the helmet, the helmet of salvation and what that represents, it's not, it's not arming ourselves with our own power. What we have to understand is that we are arming ourselves with God. And that's Paul's point here. And that's what I mean about the totality of the armor that we are to put on. Paul says that the helmet of salvation, what he's alluding to is that it represents how our salvation was not won by us. And we need to, when we put that helmet on, we need to remember that it is Christ who gives us our salvation. Right? We put on the helmet of salvation because it was won by Christ. And our salvation was not only won by Christ, but it was kept by him until the end. Now, why is the helmet of salvation important? Well, because every single day, the enemy attacks our faith and tells us we're not good enough to be saved. And you know what? He is right. We're not good enough to be saved. Every day he proves us right. We leave our house, we sin. We're in our house, we sin. We're in our bed, we sin. Everywhere we go, we sin. And if we were to think that our salvation depended on our righteousness, if we were to take off Christ and take off the righteousness that he has given us, then we would be lost and we would doubt our salvation. We would be open for a blow to the head and we would be out once we receive that blow from the enemy. But Paul says, no, 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 you put on the helmet of salvation. You need to remember every day that it is not by your works that you are saved, but it is by the works of Christ. Yes, you are a sinner. But Christ is your Savior. And that's something that we all have to remember every single day. So we are to arm ourselves with the hope that Christ, that he will finish what he started in us. And God's sure salvation gives us the confidence that we need to fight the enemy. You see, once we take away that from the enemy, once we tell the enemy, hey, it's not by my good works that I'm saved, so you can show me every single day that I am a sinner, I will agree with you, but thank goodness for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, that, the enemy, the enemy cannot separate us from him. That's something that we have to remember. Secondly, the breastplate. See, the breastplate was built in four sections and fastened together basically to cover the whole torso of the individual. And so it would cover the chest, it would come down to the stomach area and cover the sides of the chest as well. And the purpose was to guard the heart and all the other vital organs of the body. That's pretty simple. Well, Paul says this, that we 
must put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's in verse 14. Well, what is he saying? Well, again, this points back to Christ. And this breastplate of righteousness, it cannot be our, our righteousness. For we've already established that we are sinners in need of a Savior. There is no way that our righteousness could protect us. Imagine if you actually put on your righteousness and then you told your buddy, go ahead, run that sword through me. Would you be confident that your righteousness would stop that sword? I wouldn't. But you put on Christ. And you say, run that sword through me. I'm 100% confident that 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 armor will hold. And that's what Paul is pointing to, that we need to be armed with the righteousness of Christ that was imputed to believers. Where was that imputed? How was that on the cross? There's this great exchange that takes place on the cross where Christ, he gained our sins. We gained his righteousness. It was a transaction that, was, that took place on the cross. He bore our sins. He gave us his righteousness so that we could be seen clean, holy, and pure in the sight of God. Why? Because we are covered by his blood. In other words, we are protected by his armor. We are protected by his holiness. Third, the sword. The sword was a powerful offensive weapon in the hands of a worthy soldier. Just for a Roman soldier to show the sword was enough to make the enemy tremble, make the enemy walk away, make the enemy doubt. And Paul here says that we need to arm ourselves with the sword, but he said it is the sword of the Spirit, which represents the Word of God. That's verse 17. See, as an offensive weapon, the sword represents the power it represents the authority that the word of God has against the enemy. If we're trying to fight this fight on any, with anything else, we're not fighting with what we need. That's why the word of God is so important in our daily spiritual battle. And I can point back to you and tell you, if you're not in the word, you are suffering loss. If you are not in the word, and the enemy, the enemy is getting you. And if you think you can continue not being in the word and, and, and your life not being affected by that, you're going to learn a very hard lesson. But I'd rather you learn that lesson being humbled through God than, through, than to walk around your whole life not seeing the importance of the word. See, the word of God is our greatest spiritual weapon. And Paul says we need to pick that up. We need to use that in the fight against our enemy. Number four, the belt. The belt of the Roman soldier, it held the sword or dagger, also held an apron in place for more protection. Uh, the belt was worn at all times. It didn't even matter if, if the whole armor was on or not. The belt was on. And Paul says, concerning the belt, he says, Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. Verse 14. Now, this represents the protection and the usefulness the Christian is provided with by God's word. God's word is, is, is something that is very useful to us for those who cherish it, for those who read it, for those who study it, for those who remember it. It's very useful to us, but it also protects us from the enemy. The shield. The shield was used to defend the entire body, uh, even the very back, if they needed it. It was used uh, together, or when used together, the Roman soldiers could advance because it was just this wall of protection. The, the, the shield was also drenched or saturated with water. If the enemies were to throw uh, firing darts at them or firing, fiery, fiery arrows at them, they would quench the fire and protect them from the arrows. So this is what Paul says. In all circumstances, take on the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Verse 16. See, the Lord is proclaimed in the Old Testament as the shield of his people. So in other words, Christ is our protection against the devil. And then the last thing he uh, uses as, as an image of who we should be as soldiers for Christ, he says that uh, sandals are important. Now these sandals for the Roman soldiers, they were actually made with cleats or as cleats, and they were used for both marching and fighting. This is what Paul says. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. See, what we need to understand is that the soldier's sandals would give him stability and protection for the battle. Something was wrong with your shoes. It would hinder the effectiveness you had as a soldier. You wouldn't be able to fight the same way. In the same way, Christ provides the same stability and protection as we share the gospel. So if you haven't noticed, everything that was mentioned, every single armor, every single body armor that was mentioned, what does it point back to? It doesn't point back to us, but it points back to Christ. When Paul calls on Christians to put on the whole armor of God, he is essentially calling them to arm themselves with Christ. We need to remember as Christians, every time we leave the house, every time we get up, every time we go to work, when we come home from work, when we're facing the biggest challenges of our life, we need to remember Christ and all this. Number one, Christ helps us as sinners. He sanctifies us in the ugliest thing that we the, the ugliest things that we do. He grows us through the good, the bad, and ugliness of life. But he also protects us as well. He guides us in all righteousness. Without Christ, it is true we can do nothing. He protects our minds against ourselves. He brings us together as believers. He gives us a reason why we should serve one another. You see, when we don't armor ourselves with Christ, then we're thinking selfishly. We're not thinking, we're not gospel-minded. Rather, we're, we're focused on what we get out of it. We're focused on who do, who's doing wrong to us. We're focused on how can we gain an advantage in this situation. But Paul's telling the believers in Ephesus, and he's also telling us, you must clothe yourselves with Christ. You must protect yourselves with the whole armor of God, which is, by the way, Christ. Every single day. Listen to this out of Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. It says, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. My brother and my, or my sister here today, if you struggle with a particular sin, or if sin has been winning in your life here lately, I want to ask you, have you been putting on Christ? Have you been in the word of God? Do you have Christ in mind? Every single moment of your life. In every situation that you're in. See, that's what we need to do. That's how we arm ourselves. With Christ. And, you know, some may think, well, that's you're going a little too far. That's a little too drastic. But let me ask you, is it really, though? 
if that's what we are called to do. Paul talks about all these wonderful mysteries of the church and look how he's ending this book. There's this fight you're in. It's not with flesh and blood. It's going to be difficult. It's a fight of your lives. You won't be able to survive unless you arm yourself with Christ. Yeah, that's the whole reason why we are to arm ourselves with Christ. Why? To stand firm in the evil day. Let's talk about that for a minute. Paul points out that we need to arm ourselves with the whole armor of God to withstand in the evil day. Now, Paul uses similar language in, verse, in chapter 15, verse 6. Look at this. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because, of, because the days are evil. It's the same phrase, just said differently. Paul is pointing to the fact that evil abounded in his day, and it's easy for us to see that evil abounds today. It's not hard for us to go and, and, and run into temptation. It's not hard for us to go and find sin. And regardless of and because of the current state of evil affairs in our world, Christians must clothe themselves with Christ. In other words, we must put on the whole armor of God. See, without the protection of Christ as your spiritual armor, both you and I are left vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And it's not going to be pretty. You know, one of the blessings of being a dark person is that I can go into the sun and not have to put any sunblock on. God has given me my skin as my armor. Now, it hasn't always been that way. I'm a, the type of person who likes to be outside. So I am just always outside. And I, I guess my skin has gotten used to it. I can truly spend all day at the beach and I just get darker, but I don't get sunburned. When we went to Florida, not an ounce of sunblock that I put on. But for some of you, that's not a good idea. And but for some of you, I've seen it before to where you're, you, you get to the beach and you're like, oh, I'm okay, I don't need the sunblock. I'm just going to get a little bit of tan. A little bit of tan turns into red like a lobster. I, I, I think that's the way it is for us whenever we don't arm ourselves with the gospel, or excuse me, with the armor of God. When we don't arm ourselves with Christ, that sun is not going to stop shining on you. It's not going to stop attacking your skin. It's not going to stop burning your skin. It's going to do what it does. The enemy is not going to stop attacking you when you become a Christian. In fact, it gets worse. You realize the attack. Before, you were with the enemy. Now, he's against you. The enemy is not going to stop attacking you just because you claim it in Jesus' name. You don't have the power to claim anything. What you do have the power to do is to put on the armor of God. What will stop the enemy from doing damage to you is the armor of God. What will allow you to fight is the armor of God. Brothers and sisters, we need to clothe ourselves with that armor. It's so weird because it's there for us to put it on, but yet we fight it every single day. I spent 20 years in the safety field working as a, as a safety and health professional. And every single day, part of my job was to go around and make sure everyone was wearing their required PPE, personal protective equipment. And it's so funny because the, everything is paid for for the employee. Helmet, shoes, gloves, everything. Everything is paid for. Face shield, uh, hearing protection, eye protection, 
goggles if they need it. But every single day I had to remind people, you need to put that on. You need to put, if you're working with chemicals, you need to put the, this apron on to protect you. Just in case any kind of chemical splashed on you, it would not hurt you. Gloves, you need to put those on. Shoes. Face shield. And it was a fight every single day. And the employees knew, yeah, you're right, I, I should have that on. But there was this, there was that. I was trying to save time. I don't like the way it fits. I don't like the way it feels. Some of y'all are laughing because y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. It's hot. So we have the armor of God available to us. And a lot of us are just like, I just, for some reason or another, I'm just not thinking about picking it up. I don't want to. It's a burden. It's too much trouble. But we don't realize how much we suffer without Christ on our minds, without Christ in our heart, without putting him first in everything. See, the other thing that Paul points to, and this helps us too, put on the armor of God daily is he's pointing to the fact that we uh, ought to be praying. We ought to be praying as often as we are putting on this armor of God. When you look at the armor of God, it looks as though the, the, the sword, God's word, is the only offensive weapon that is mentioned. Well, prayer is also an offensive weapon. It, it wasn't used in the imagery that Paul gave, but he does talk about it and said how important it is for us in our spiritual fight. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. He tells us that we ought to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So this is one thing that I, that I just gather just from reading this and putting everything together. If you're a person who struggles to put on the armor of God, then you are a person who struggles to pray. Because those two go hand in hand. If you're in prayer, you're thinking about the things of God. If you're in prayer on a regular basis, you're looking to, for yourself to decline to decrease, and for Christ to increase in you. But if you lack prayer, then you're basically just walking around, waiting for something bad to happen so that you can go run to your Heavenly Father when you really need to. And that's really not a way to live. That's being disobedient to the Word of God. That's sinning against the Lord when we do not arm ourselves with Christ, when we are not engaged with God in prayer as we ought to be. See, with Christ, we are nothing, and we can do nothing. The spiritual fight is not a fight that we are called to do alone. There are other things that we ought to be doing that help us to arm ourselves with Christ. See, in order to stand in these days of evil, Believers like you and I, we must gather like an army. If you're the type of believer who thinks, I don't need church, I don't need to go to a church, I don't need these people in my life, I don't need to open myself up to them, you're an army of one, you're living outside of what God has told you to do. And you're not arming yourself with Christ. Why? Because Christ has told you specifically that you are part of a larger body and that your part matters and that you need to connect yourself with him and work together with these other parts. And if we are, in, if we are individually involved in this battle, then that means you and I, we're an army. And in order for us to be an army, we must gather together. We must strategize. We must plan. We must help. 
We need to remember that we are his army. And we have a special purpose. But also, in order for us to stand in the days of evil, we must minister to each other as his body. We must pray to him as our savior. And we must fight the enemy with his word. Like these are all the things that we should be doing as we, in order to arm ourselves with God. I want to end it with this last section. We are to put on the whole armor of God to stand firm in the evil day as ambassadors of Christ. See, we are engaged in a battle with every, uh, with a spirit, excuse me, with a spiritual enemy who desires to devour God's people. Listen to this out of 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, we are called to resist him guarded by the armor of God. We are called to stand firm in our faith. One thing I need you to notice here, we are not called to retreat whenever the enemy attacks. We are not called to hide from the enemy, but we are called to resist him. To resist somebody is an offensive move. It's not a, I'm just going to sneak away, I'm going to hide, I'm going to stay away. It's, I am going to protect myself. And we are told that this enemy that that prowls around, he is as dangerous as a lion, but yet we are to resist him. We are to engage him in the battle. See, our enemy, this is what we have to realize, our enemy wants to take our freedom away. As I told you, they're the spiritual forces of evil that, are, that manifest themselves through real people and real things. What's going on in the world around us? What do we see every single day in the news? What frustrates us? What hurts us? What causes us to go to the Lord in prayer? Well, there are some things that affect you and I differently, but these are things that are going on in the world today that we need to see that it's caused by the spiritual forces of evil doing evil work in real people. And we need to recognize that, and we also need to recognize our need to be engaged in the battle. Number one, our freedom's being taken away. We see that going on right now. It just depends on what state you live in. Depends on what state you live in to, 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 and, and seeing what kind of persecution you're dealing with concerning that. Not only that, but our enemy seeks to kill the unborn. What are we doing with that? How are we engaged in that fight? The enemy also seeks to redefine marriage. What are we doing with that? How are we standing our ground? How are we a light in a dark place when it comes to what the world wants to do with marriage? The enemy seeks to redefine gender. What are we doing with that? There are so many Christians that support this stuff. And if they don't support this stuff, then they hide from everybody and not say a thing. And their excuse is, I want to be a, I want to be a light by not saying anything. How's that? How's that fighting the fight we are called to fight? To me, that seems more like hiding. That seems more like running away than bringing people the message of the gospel, the message of peace, the message of grace. Well, that's going to cause people not to like me. Of course. But what means more for people to like you or for God to be pleased with you? See, the enemy 
seeks to destroy the church. The enemy wants control over our lives, wants control over our children's lives. The enemy wants to tell you what to do, when to do it. And so many people are just saying, you know what? They're just thinking about what's best for us. There's so many people that are so dependent on the government and they're like, the government is just looking out for our health. The government is just looking out for our protection. The government is just, and it's the government, the government, the government. Listen, Christ is king. If you are in Christ, the government is not your king. Christ is your king. If you are in Christ, the government does not supply your needs. Your needs are supplied in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And there are so, there's so much that is happening that is so concerning. And Christians are just walking around not worried about a thing. Why? Well, it really doesn't affect my bubble. It doesn't really affect my household. It may not today, but it will someday. I think it's wonderful that Paul is speaking about this so long ago, at the very beginning of the birth of the church, so to speak, in the New Testament. He's addressing all these issues back then and how things have not changed. In fact, we can say they've gotten worse. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they've always been this, been this bad. But if you walk around and you say, well, what spiritual battle is going on? I really don't see anything. Everything's pretty good. I'm asking you this morning, brother and sister, please open your eyes to see that there is a battle going on and you are called to fight in that battle. We must engage the enemy as fully armed ambassadors for Christ. That's what Paul says of himself. That means we primarily fight with the truth of his word and with prayer. Like this is this is separate from a call to arms to arm yourself and to defend your life. That is needed as well at times. But this fight that I'm speaking to you about this morning, this is more important than that. Paul says you have two weapons. You have the word of God. You need to pick that up. Get familiar with that. One thing that makes me nervous is someone who does not know how to handle a gun. Makes me completely nervous. They're just waving it around everywhere. They're going to shoot somebody with it. I do not like to be in the presence of somebody who's pointing a gun at me by accident or just waving it around like they don't care. You, you learn how to use a gun by getting familiar with it. You know everything about it. You know what it's capable of. You know when it's harmful. You know, you, you know when it's safe. Listen, friends, if we are going to use the word of God as a weapon, we need to be acquainted with it. We need to get to know our weapon. You ever buy a weapon to begin with and the first day you use it, it just feels, it feels awkward in your hands? You have to get used to it. For some of y'all out there, the Bible is still awkward in your hands. Because the time has not been spent to get used to your weapon. You ever see somebody who tries to use a weapon they've never really gotten acquainted with? They're fumbling around, it's dropping on the floor, they don't know what to do. You ever see a Christian who's not a, who's, who, who doesn't know his Bible? As soon as trouble comes, they go crazy. Their world is falling apart. Why? Because they do not have the word to stand on. This is what Paul is saying. That's how important the word of God is to us. See, we fight with the word and we fight with prayer. We are the vessels that God speaks through. 
And listen to this very carefully. Where the devil speaks the loudest, we are to proclaim the most. Because sometimes our excuse are, well, they're just a bunch of lost people. Devil's completely taken over that platform. Just let them be. But the Bible says that we should not hide our light. That in fact, we should shine our light in dark places. That's the hardest thing to do, but that's what we are called to do. See, we are not ambassadors of the Republican Party. We are not ambassadors of the Democratic Party. We're not ambassadors for Black Lives Matter. We're not ambassadors for critical race theory. We're not ambassadors for the government. We're not ambassadors for our favorite football team. We are ambassadors for the gospel. We are ambassadors for the gospel to fight off the rulers, to fight off the authorities, to fight off the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what we're ambassadors for. Will we suffer loss? Yeah. Will we suffer casualties? Yeah. Will there be pain and suffering? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. But this is a fight that we are called to fight. And we must know that God will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. Romans 8, and I'll close with this passage, says this. Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. I want you to really take this to heart as you think about your spiritual battle. This is a promise that's being made to you through Christ. Where there is fear, it needs to be replaced by faith. Because God has truly given us everything we need for life and godliness. Listen to this. Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, our distress, our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Then he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.